Mark 12, verse 35. As we read, we remember this is God's word. Then Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make up a quadrans. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. You'll remember, folks, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesus cursed a fig tree. Remember Jesus cursing the fig tree? And and we saw at the time that that was an illustration of an indictment on the Jewish temple religious system. It it was given by God, but it wasn't fulfilling its God-given purpose. Just like the fig tree, the temple wasn't bearing fruit. And so we saw that the temple has been abandoned for something better. Or, in fact, Jesus is the temple of God. And at the time, I had an illustration in my head, and I didn't use it. But I think it might be helpful for us today. Because of the fig tree, it made me think of a fig rule. Now, I understand that some people here might enjoy a fig roll from time to time. But I have to say... Fig rolls are the worst. They are the worst. The thing about a fig roll, it looks like a biscuit. It looks like a chocolate biscuit. Because there's brown in the middle and you think, yes, there's chocolate in there. And somehow, as soon as you bite into it, it's dry and sticky at the same time. No, thank you. Not a fan of the fig roll. Well, we'll come to the fig rolls in a minute. In our passage today... Jesus is in the temple courts. He's still there. He's teaching. He's had difficult questions. And now he's asking a question of his own. He's surrounded by religious leaders. He's in the middle of the temple courts. But his question is going to be a criticism of the religious leaders. And what Jesus wants to teach at this point is that the religious leaders have far too low expectations of the Messiah. 
He wants to show that he is not only an earthly Messiah, he is a heavenly Messiah. You see, the religious leaders were settling for a fig roll whenever they could have been having a chocolate biscuit. And Jesus sets out to show them in this passage, he is so much more than what they expected. His kingdom is more than they expect. And the values of his kingdom are very different and much greater than the values they held to. They were expecting an earthly Messiah to bring about an earthly kingdom with earthly values. But in our passage today, we see that Jesus is a heavenly Messiah of a heavenly kingdom with heavenly values. I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Mark 12 as we work through these points together. Firstly, Jesus demonstrates he is a heavenly Messiah. You can see the question that Jesus asks in verse 35. He says, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, if we stop there, that's not a difficult question. Everybody agreed that the Christ or the Messiah, Christ is the Greek term for Messiah. Everybody agreed that he was going to come from the line of David. The teachers of the law thought that he would be born to the line of David. The scribes, the religious leaders thought so, and Jesus thought so. And in Jerusalem at this time, there's this excitement, almost a buzz, about the expectation of a coming Messiah. They're anticipating this son of David who would come and rescue them from oppression to their enemies. And Jesus goes on, Jesus recognises that there's this anticipation and he goes on in the next few verses to quote a messianic psalm. Psalm 110 speaks about the promised Messiah. It tells us this. It says that the Messiah would have his enemies piled up into a footstool under his feet. It tells us that there's coming, going to be a king that will come and defeat and rule over his enemies. And it tells us in Psalm 110 that there will be a Christ whose people would flock to him willingly as he crushed those who opposed him. And so that's the Messiah the scribes are expecting. They're expecting someone to come in might and power. They're expecting an earthly ruler to overthrow the Romans. They're expecting someone who will make Israel great again. Someone who will restore them to the global superpower that they were in the days of David and Solomon. But Jesus wants to show them here that their expectations are far too low. Not too great, their expectations are far too low. He wants them to say, you're looking for a fig roll when you could be having a chocolate biscuit. No one has a problem with the first part of his question. But the second part of Jesus' question turns it into a riddle. Let's read the whole thing, starting again halfway through verse 35. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? I wonder if you see the riddle, if you see the conundrum. Jesus wants to test 
the scribes' biblical knowledge. The scribes, well, that's what they did. They taught the Bible. And so if anybody should be able to solve the riddle, they are the ones who should be able to solve it. And if we boil it down, the riddle's this. How can David refer to his son as Lord? How can he refer to his son as Lord? In that culture, the honour of calling someone Lord was a one-way street. A younger person could honour somebody older than them by calling them Lord, but not the other way around. And so for the greatest king in the history of Israel, King David, for him to refer to his son as my Lord, well, that was truly remarkable. But the riddle does have an answer. It's an answer that the scribes should have known. But like I say, their expectations of the Messiah were too low. You see, the answer is this. The Messiah is the son of David. But he is also divine. He is God. The Messiah is David's son, born as a man from the line of David. But he is also God, born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the answer to the riddle is that Jesus is not only an earthly Messiah, he is a heavenly Messiah. Jesus is both God and man. The teachers of the law refused to believe that. And there's a reason, which we'll come to in a minute. But for just a moment, I I want us to think about this. Jesus is both God and man. This is an amazing claim. Nobody else in the history of the world can make this claim. It's what very often got Jesus into trouble with the religious establishment. It's the charge for which he was eventually killed. And yet, time and time again, Jesus affirms that he is God and man in one person. This is absolutely central to the Christian faith. If Jesus was only a man, well then... His death might be of some worth as an example or as an inspiration. But if he was just a man, his death would have been useless in battling the enemies of sin and death. If he was just a man, his death would mean very little to you and me today. But as the God-man, his death means something. His death means our sins are forgiven. His death means everlasting life. As God, he died to remove sin and death from all who trust in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is so important for us to know that Jesus was not a mere man. The forgiveness of sin, the defeat of death, requires a perfect sacrifice. It requires the death of a person who has never sinned, a person who has lived a perfect life. Someone who has lived entirely under the will of God. No mere man can do that. You know that as well as I do. Think about your own life. Our willpower is weak against sin. How often is it that we find ourselves doing or saying or thinking something that we should not be doing that is sinful against God? And we wonder, how did I even get here? How did I come to be in this position? At times we sin willfully and at other times we just kind of wander into sin unintentionally. 
But we wander into it nonetheless. It's all sin. God has made us to glorify him. And we take that created purpose and we twist it to glorify ourselves. Seeking our own pleasure, our own desires. And so we sin against a holy God. Only Jesus, as the God-man, had the power to be tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows your temptations. He is a man. He understands the temptations that we go through each and every day. But while we don't resist those temptations, Jesus did resist. Jesus never sinned because... He is God. Another reason this is important is that because Jesus is God, because he is God, he could endure the infinite wrath of God against sin in his human nature. The punishment that Jesus paid for sin was finite in terms of its length and time. I mean, Jesus died on the cross and he's not still dying today. So we know that his death stopped in time. But his punishment was nevertheless infinite in terms of its greatness, its dignity, and its value. What the Bible teaches is this. If the Messiah had been only a man, and he'd taken upon himself the burden of God's wrath, he would have been crushed under its weight. God is infinitely good. God is infinitely holy. And sin is a direct offence against God. So God's wrath requires an infinite punishment. No mere human being could ever pay that price. It was necessary that the Messiah be both God and man because only the death of God could pay the penalty, the infinite penalty of sin. And so Jesus is giving a riddle, but he's teaching something really important. And without this truth, there is no hope. There is no hope of the forgiveness of sins. The Messiah is David's son and David's Lord. The Messiah is a unique person in the history of mankind. He is fully God and fully man in one person. Jesus is so much more than an earthly Messiah. He is also a heavenly Messiah. And what that means, our second point, is that his kingdom is not only an earthly kingdom, but also a heavenly kingdom. You see, Jesus is the Messiah of Psalm 110. The the Messiah who has his enemies piled up under his feet. The Messiah who defeats and rules over his enemies. The one who the people flock to willingly as he crushes those who oppose him. The scribes thought the Messiah would be an earthly king with earthly enemies. They thought that he might come and rule over his enemies by earthly strength. They were waiting for a fig rule. But Jesus says your expectations are too low. He is... Uh, much, much more than an earthly Messiah. He's a heavenly Messiah. And that means that his kingdom is more than an earthly kingdom. It's also a heavenly kingdom. And so the enemies that are piling up under his feet are not the Roman soldiers. 
Those Roman soldiers could only oppress for a short time in an earthly way. They could do so with strength and might. But we know that the Roman Empire has fallen. So they didn't oppress forever. The enemies that Jesus came to defeat were spiritual. He came to defeat sin and death. Enemies who can oppress eternally. In a spiritual as well as an earthly way. The opposition of the scribes to Jesus is not an earthly opposition. It's a spiritual opposition. They are the enemies at this point. They don't like Jesus' teaching. And whether they know it or not, their opposition is spiritual. It's sinful opposition. But what about the crowd? Don't they flock to Jesus? Don't they come willingly to the Messiah? Look at the end of verse 37. The common people heard him gladly. What does that mean for us? What difference does this make when we get out of our beds tomorrow morning? I think the Holy Spirit applies this teaching to our hearts by putting the next two parts of our passage next to this one. Verses 38 to 44 are really important. There's a contrast made between the scribes and a widow. And with these two, we learn what the kingdom of God actually looks like. You see, Jesus is a heavenly Messiah of a heavenly kingdom. And in that kingdom, there are heavenly values. The values are shown by the widow, not by the scribes. Let's look at the contrast. Jesus says, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. You see, these scribes had poor doctrine. And that always, poor doctrine always leads to poor practice. What they believed naturally overflowed into how they lived. They loved to go around in long robes. They loved their greetings in the marketplaces. They loved having the best seat in the synagogue, the best places at feasts. They devoured widows' houses, and for a pretense, they made long prayers. Jesus says they will receive their condemnation. But I want you to understand why they lived this way. Why did the scribes live like this? Well, they lived like this because they believed in an earthly Messiah with an earthly kingdom. So they didn't have heavenly values. They had earthly values. They were settling for the fig rule. They were making the best of this earthly kingdom that they thought they had. They were doing everything they can to lord it over people. To get what they could in this life. They seemed to be getting the best of it in an earthly sense. They were important people. They were treated as important people. They lived their lives to be seen by others. To be praised by others. But the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. I wonder if you remember from last week, there was a guy who wasn't far from the kingdom of God. Jesus said he wasn't far from the kingdom of God. And the reason Jesus said that is he realized something. This man realized something. What did he realize? He realized that love is more important than sacrifice. Well, these scribes, The scribes loved to sacrifice. 
Their sacrifices would have been the best sacrifices. But they didn't love people. They showed no love for people. What does Jesus say? They devour widows' houses. But their prayers, well, their prayers are lengthy and showy. They're offered to demonstrate that they're better than everyone else. You see, the thing is, they believed in an earthly kingdom. And they lived as if they were in an earthly kingdom. They lived with earthly values, but they were wrong. Jesus' kingdom is not only an earthly kingdom, it's also a heavenly kingdom. And so when judgment comes, the scribes will be punished. And they'll be punished most severely. Beware, don't be like them. They'll be punished for their behaviour. They'll be punished for their mishandling of God's word so that they could lord it over people. So now we can contrast that with the widow in verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrans. That's worth very little. Very, very little indeed. It's worth less than 2% of a day's wages for a labourer. And yet Jesus says she's put in more than everyone else because they gave out of their abundance. She gave everything she had. I want you to notice this, this widow, although she gave barely nothing, she didn't give one mite into the treasury and keep one for herself. Mark is really clear that she put in two mites. Now, I'm not sure Jesus is teaching us to give away all that we have. But there is something to be said for the trust that this woman has in God. She didn't hold anything back from the temple treasury. She didn't keep one mite to buy bread and put the other one into the treasury. No, she knew that God would provide her with bread. And so we learn from Jesus through the actions of this woman. What are heavenly values? What are the values of God's kingdom? Well, they're not like the values of this world. Jesus' people flock to him. They give him honor and glory and they trust him for everything. In this life and in the life to come. We trust Jesus for bread today and tomorrow. As well as the everlasting life he gives us. This is a revolutionary kind of idea. It should change the way we see the world. If we're Christian people, it should change the way we see the world. The scribes loved to make a show. They wore fancy robes. They took the best seats. They performed with their long prayers. And when compared with this widow, it would seem that the scribes are the great ones. That's what it looks like. When they were putting their money into the treasury, it would probably sound, you know, like when you win big on the 2P machines. They were so proud of their giving. They liked people to see and to hear how much they were giving. But in the kingdom of God, it's not always about the amount you give. It's about the amount you give relative to the amount you have. What Jesus is teaching here is well, it's not that giving a lot of money to the church is a bad thing. Giving a lot of money to the church is a good thing. 
He's teaching that our giving should be proportionate to the amount that we have. He's teaching that our giving should be sacrificial. And he's teaching that it shouldn't be done to show off to other people. This widow would have gone unnoticed, totally unnoticed if Jesus hadn't pointed her out. The scribes were noticed by everyone. And so there's a broader point here to be made about how we live as God's people, as citizens of this heavenly Messiah's heavenly kingdom. We value what the world does not value. And so the works of a Christian disciple will likely go unnoticed. They will likely go unnoticed by people in this world. And that's not a bad thing. Because they're noticed by God. The people around wouldn't have noticed the widow, but who did notice? Jesus noticed. Jesus saw her. So friends, if you ever feel unnoticed, if you ever feel unacknowledged for the love and serving that you do in the church, well, I want you to know that God sees. Jesus sees you. And you shouldn't do it for the praise of people. You should do it for the glory of Christ. This is such good news for us today. Because if we're in God's kingdom, we have a heavenly Messiah who calls us to embrace heavenly values. We don't need to seek the approval or the acceptance of people. We only need the acceptance of God. And because Jesus is the God-man, because he's the heavenly Messiah, well, in him we already have the acceptance of God. If you're trusting in Christ, then there's nothing for you to prove. American Presbyterian pastor Tim Keller says this. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are more loved and accepted in the God-man, in Jesus Christ, than we ever dared hope. The gospel is really good news. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel as a heavenly Messiah of a heavenly kingdom with heavenly values. And friends, being part of this kingdom is not oppressive. It's freedom. It's freedom for sinners like you and me. The world is offering you a fig roll. Jesus is saying you can have a chocolate biscuit. The values of his kingdom are so much better. He is so much better. Let me pray for us.